0: NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to a shorter version of the Country Hour, broadcasting during the lunch break of the cricket. And this is our last Country Hour for 2023. Can you believe it? So today, something a little bit different. I'll be sharing with you our top three digital stories of the year. I wonder if you can guess what the biggest stories for the Country Hour were in 2023. All will be revealed soon. I'll also be speaking to the Weather Bureau to get the latest forecast, to get an understanding on what the weekend and New Year's Day could be like. As always, if you have a question for the Bureau, send it through on that text line 0487 991057. It is lunchtime in the cricket and I'll be returning you to the MCG and ABC Sports coverage of that test in about half an hour's time. It is the wet season and the Gamba army is busy in the top end. It's got boots on the ground and they're out spraying Gamba grass in a number of spots around the Darwin region. Now this army is now in its fourth year of battling this invasive weed and coordinator Rowena Eastick feels the army is having a win.
0: Our priorities are definitely all the blocks that we've done over the previous three years. We do have a bit of a problem, though, in that we've done such a terrific job that some of the blocks, there's not a lot of gamba left on them. So we're like, ah, oh, OK, there are priorities to do follow-up. They're not quite ready yet. There hasn't been enough gamba flush come through. If there's any seed remaining, we haven't had... In like a good germination event because of the rain. Um, some blocks were like, oh, they got burnt, they haven't got enough regrowth left on them, so we'll leave them for a little bit longer. That block. So we've probably got about 70 blocks, 70 different parcels that we've done over the last few years that sit with our priority list for follow-up. And we're working closely with Darwin Parks as a key stakeholder, the Crown Land Estate and um, Vacant Crown Land as another key stakeholder and Weed Management Branch, obviously, as enforcers of the Weed Act, um, with Territory NRM and to prioritise parcels where we're going to go for this season. And we talk with Litchfield Council as well, so we can pick up some identify parcels in the rural area. And, yeah, we go from there.
2: It is such an invasive weed, though, Gambar. Have you been finding it in new areas? And are there any signs that it's spreading even further afield?
0: I think overall, like I reckon I'm seeing a reduction. We drove out the Arnhem Highway, um, Lambles Lagoon area the other day. I think people are getting more on top of it, like private landholders as well. In the whole scheme of weeds, it's one of the more easy weeds to control. It has a low-lived seed bank. Um, You know, it matures later than lots of the native grass species, so you can let all your native grasses hay off and um, seed down by sort of April and then your gamber just stands out like the proverbial and you're like, right, I can go and smash that now. But we are still seeing it spread through, say, down some roadsides, like if civil works happens and you get soil disturbance and rock fuel that um, may be contaminated with seed. So those corridors have spread. You know, we particularly try and jump on top of those ones. But there, you know, there's a roads contract that's out, there's a vacant crown. So there's already existing platforms in place to control Gamba on, you know, some of these particularly government-managed areas.
2: And once you're on top of the the current areas that you're managing, where are you looking to next? What what are the new targets for, you, for the Gamba Army?
0: So, okay, these are some other areas. So we're looking at, say, some areas out at Southport, you know, some of the areas, like around Girawain Primary School, um, Top End Gun Club. So areas that, sort of for the the altruistic good you know that where the gamba army can benefit and particularly with the strength of the gamba army that we can go across tenure so there might be a crown land block but next to that's a you know the schools schools have a block and we the gamba army just sprays it all as sort of a geographic area we we don't stop just because the tenure or the ownership changes as long as we've got permission from all the owners in that area we say look we're going to spray this block. Are you happy we just need to spray this one? Then we do it so there's not spread. And most people say, go your bloody hardest. Go go for a love. So there we go. Yeah. So um yeah, so we're just working through some prioritization now and identifying blocks to get done over this season. And the really good thing for this season is that it was a two year funding commitment for the Gamba Army. So we're looking at developing a more strategic two-year plan for some of these areas which means we can then incorporate you know some maybe even wet season burning and some you know controlled burning in the dry season with the definite like knowledge that it can get sprayed then the following wet season which is essential if you do a burn of gamber you really need to make sure you get on top of it to spray at the subsequent season.
1: That is Rowena Eastick, who is the coordinator of the Gamba Army, speaking to Max Rowley. I don't like the word coordinator. I like to think of Rowena as the general of the Gamba Army. She did mention that the NT government's commitment for the Gamba Army of $600,000 over two years. The federal government has also chipped in some dollars. It pledged $9.8 million over four years to help tackle this invasive weed. The Country Hour has asked the government a few questions about that money and how it's been spent. We did receive a statement from the Federal Department of Environment. It said under its $9.8 million election commitment, it said work has commenced in the Kakadu National Park and went on to say that planning to guide efforts to eradicate and contain this weed across other priority locations in the Territory is complete and that we expect the final contract to underpin this work to be in place shortly. So that's the statement to the Country Hour from the Federal Department of Environment.
3: G'day folks, Troy Casadaly here. Um, every time I get to the Territory, it's always a, an honour and a privilege. I get up here and I flip lures at Barramundi and Saratoga, and whatever else will chase my line. Um, it's a great place to be. You're very lucky to live up here, and you're tuned into the Country Hour.
1: It is 12 past 11. Matt Brand with you for a shorter version of the Country Hour. We're broadcasting during the lunch break of the cricket. Pakistan at the MCG are chasing 317 for victory. And at lunch, uh, one for 25. 25. Now, just quickly to the live export trade. The Nine Eagle is due to set sail from Darwin Port this afternoon, and that'll be the last cattle ship for 2023. It has been an extremely busy December for the live trade. When we spoke to the port's chief executive, Peter Dummett, just before Christmas, he said it looked like this December would actually be a record for the Darwin Port.
3: We are on track for what we believe is a record December uh, since we've been moving live cattle through the port. It's about 55,000 head uh, will go out in December. And look, uh, we pulled some numbers yesterday and um, you've got to go back to July 2016 um, when we did about that 50,000 head in a month.
1: Yeah, so that was Peter Dummett speaking to us just before Christmas. The final numbers have not yet been crunched. But it does look like Darwin Port has had its biggest December on record for live cattle exports. We'll get those numbers finalised as soon as we can in the new year. But very, very busy time for the trade. And to all of those on board the Nine Eagle this afternoon, safe sailing. You are tuned into The Country Hour. What were the three biggest stories for 2023? I'll share that with you next.
4: Don't let the cuteness fool you. Come on, puppies. A new litter of muster dogs are setting to work. Five Australian border collie pups. can help the life, eh? Five ambitious stock handlers. Our
2: trainers have got their work cut out for them.
4: Who will rise to the challenge and become the new champion? You look after me and I'll look after you. A brand new season of Mustard Dogs Starts Sunday, January 14 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView.
1: Yeah, it's our last Country Hour for 2023. So I thought we'd take a look at our top three digital stories of the year. So here at the Country Hour, we don't get any radio statistics, which is a shame, but we do know what you clicked on in 2023. So here it is. The country hours third biggest story of the year. It was about beef. A photo of a Wagyu steak with a marbling score of 18. It got tongues wagging. It made people hungry. And this Wagyu steak, it was one of the top entries at this year's Wagyu branded beef competition. And at the time we spoke to the chief executive of the Wagyu Association, Matt McDonough.
2: So each year, the Australian Wagyu Association runs a branded beef competition, uh, engaging all the top Wagyu brands across Australia. So we have uh, this year 57 different branded entries. So they're brands that are usually targeted export supply chains, and we have a range of categories from full blood Wagyu, which is 100% Japanese genetics that we can trace all the way back to genetics uh, in Japan. And we have purebred Wagyu, uh, which is basically 94%, 95% uh, of Wagyu genetics. And then we have a range of open crossbred categories where we can have extremely high marble scores from crossbreeding animals all the way down to our fifth category, which is our commercial Wagyu steak category, which is marble score five to seven, which is basically targeted at, um, at food service and Wagyu.
1: Let's talk about that. Top one, class one full-blood Japanese black steak. What is that like to eat?
2: Uh, it, it just blows your mind. It's an incredible eating experience. Anybody that's been to Japan or or had some of the full-blood Wagyu out of Australia, which is basically 100% Japanese genetics anyway, it is just a different level of eating experience. So you, you'll you all be aware that the Ozmeat Marble Score system goes from zero to nine, And we use Japanese digital cameras on these carcass entries. And this year, we've had an entry over marble score 18 as measured by the camera. So that's not on the Osmeet scale, but it's calibrated against Osmeet. And if you continue that relationship between marbling and Osmeet with these samples, we can get them up to 18, which is just a phenomenal piece of meat. And at that point, there's 60% intramuscular fat. So... More than half of that muscle is actually that soft, unique, fine marbling that comes through with Wagyu. And because it's highly unsaturated, it literally melts in your mouth and gives that beautiful, unique eating experience.
1: Well, I'm hungry again. I'm hungry again for that Wagyu with a marble score of 18. Unbelievable bit of beef. And if you go into Google and type in Wagyu Meat, Marble Score 18, ABC, you will find that story. It was our third biggest for 2023. If you're just tuning in, this is the Country Hour. It's our last one for 2023, and we're counting down the top three digital stories of the year. So number three was about Wagyu. Number two was about Gina Reinhart. Back in April, the Country Hour confirmed that the Reinhardt-owned S. Kibben & Co. had sold four of its cattle stations spanning 2.4 million hectares. So the sale included Jury Station, Narialco and Glengale stations in the Channel country of Queensland. They were snapped up by the Appleton cattle country. And here in the Northern Territory, well, Brun Chile Station, which included the Banker Banker East pastoral lease, it was bought by the Harris family, and in the end, it was revealed that Brunchilli sold for over $100 million. At the time, we had a chat to property valuer Frank Peacock, who said it set a new benchmark for property sales in the Barclay.
3: I think value levels are they're at unprecedented levels at the moment, so maybe it just makes good economic sense. So there are people looking um, at this level um, and maybe yeah, the appetite for a, Holding on to properties when these prices are being paid is just <laughs> too much. And um, and why not why not sort of take advantage of that of those market conditions? Uh, um, a lot of people are, are predicting that we we're possibly near the peak of the market. So you know, there's a few storm clouds on the horizons potentially about about which way values might go. Um, and most of those feelings are not not continually up with the same strength that it has been going. So Things are sort of going to level out, or even I mean, in the future, go south. Why not sell at the top?
1: The S. Kimman & Co. portfolio was bought back in 2016 for, well, oh, it was about $385 million. Is it safe to assume that portfolio is worth a lot more now in
3: 2023? Oh, it's fairly safe. Um, I guess look at some of the properties that did sell a bit earlier, like um, Ruby and Sturt over there, just over the border then in Western Australia. It, it sold at a, a, a um, you know, an increased value or an increased price of what they paid for it. So, yeah, it's a pretty safe bet. I think they, they'll get more than they paid for it. Every other sale has showed a, a significant increase on values you know, back in 2016. So I'd say it's a fairly safe bet.
1: That's Frank Peacock, who is a rural property valuer with Heron, Todd White, speaking to us back in April. That story about those Kidman sell selling, that was our second biggest digital story of the year for the NT Country Hour. What was the number one story? I'll tell you next.
4: Ready to hit the road less travel. Back Roads is back out adventuring. From Tassie's Tasman Peninsula to East Arnhem Land in the Territory and everywhere in between. Join me, Heather Hewitt, and my guest explorers now on Tuesday nights at 8, visiting the small towns and communities that make Australia so special.
3: All New Backroads returns Tuesday, January 9 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView.
1: If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour and we're counting down the top three... Biggest digital stories of the year for the program. Number three was a story about a Wagyu steak with a marbling score of 18. Number two was about Gina Reinhart's S. Kidman & Co. selling cattle stations in Queensland and in the Northern Territory. The NT Country Hour's biggest digital story of the year was the incredible tale of a Territory cattle producer who survived a crocodile attack by literally biting back Colin Devereaux from Twin Hill Station. Do you remember this story? <laughs> he was out checking fences, checking fences on land he knows so well. And then suddenly he stepped into some mud, and this is what happened next.
5: Started walking, took two steps, and a dirty bastard latched onto me. My right foot on the instep sort of as I little, a little sure foot forward and it was a big grab, solid, and um, he shook me straight away, he shook me like a rag doll, and he took off in the water about three metres, pulled me. When he stopped pretty quick, I jumped in the air and kicked him in the ribs behind the front shoulder with my left foot, which was hard to do because he had all of my foot. But I got and, a short kick in.
1: And you're in the water at this stage?
5: Yeah, no, I'm in the water, mate. I'm out in the middle there. So... Um, he, I kicked him in the ribs and I fell over when I landed. My left leg went underneath me at the back. And I was on my knee, leaning forward, just sort of half accidental, but my head with my momentum went down towards his head, his head, and I managed to have a bite. But I was in an awkward position and I actually missed most of what I was biting at. It was all heavy head, heavy bone, and my teeth slipped up and I got all of the eyelids, probably by accident, I think. And his eyelids were pretty thick. I mean, it was like holding leather. And I jerked back on that and I had about a second to go past and he let go. So I just I just leapt away from him pretty awkwardly, but I rolled twice and took off. Just stood up and took off with great steps up towards the billabong where my car was. He chased me, I think, three or four metres, maybe four, but then stopped. Because so I did have a good look over my shoulder, by golly. So anyhow, I roared up to the camp climbed the stairs, wrapped the towel around. I got a bit of telecom rope that was on the rando and tied it all up tight and managed to get the bleed stopped straight away. And my um, brother came out from Berry Springs and got me into Palmerston pretty quick. So that was about it, mate. That was it.
1: Uh, how were you on arrival at the hospital? Was it losing a bit of uh, blood?
5: Yeah, no, I was, no, I'd, I'd had all the block of blood stopped with the rope. And it was pretty painful, but it was getting painful by the time we were up there. It was, yeah. But it was pretty damaged. So I think it hit two toes. But what do you call it? The um, tendons that attached to the two first toes. And uh, the skin died in the middle, so they had to pull all the skin off. They bloody put a few staples in right around it, trying to keep it all hanging right. And then they, um, oh, some 14 days later, it took that long. It had mud in it. They had to clear all the mud out because of the bad bacteria. From the of the water itself, goose shit, duck shit, and crocodile teeth. The crocodile shit and crocodile teeth marks over a big bob of bacteria around it.
1: Yeah, and this was all in your leg and foot.
5: Yeah, it was. It was brittle opened up that bad. It was you could see the black of the silt of the bloody mud in there. And all the in amongst that mud, this is microbial fungus and that got in there. They reckon. And um, so they had to spend a lot of time, I think it was over nearly ten days, blushing it. It was hard going for a while in here for
1: me, I tell you. We've had so many people calling up wanting to know how you are, Colin, so it's been lovely to hear your story. I'm so pleased we're here talking to you because this could have ended terribly. (laughs) (laughs) It
5: could have. It could have.
1: That was Colin Devereaux, just a bit of his story that he shared with the Country Hour this year. He spent about a month in Darwin Hospital and that lucky escape from the jaws of a 3.2 metre saltwater croc, he got away by biting the crocodile back. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the biggest digital story that the NT Country Hour did for 2023. What a tale.
2: G'day, my name is Heather Smythe. I'm a sensory scientist and flavour specialist, and my job is to make food more delicious. And you're listening to the Country Hour.
1: Now, just before we head to the Weather Bureau, I see a message has been put out by Bushfires NT reminding people to be safe around water-bombing aircraft. Now, it says water-bombing aircraft used for firefighting may still have some novelty value in Central Australia, but in reality, they play a critical role in reducing or halting the spread of a fire and save lives and property in the event of a bushfire. Aircraft have been deployed around Alice Springs again this week and flight crews have raised safety concerns about people in the vicinity of firegrounds where water bombing is taking place. It says water bombing aircraft can drop 3,000 litres of water per drop. That's three tonnes of water. It says it's got enough force to strip branches off trees, snap fully grown trees and could cause serious injury or possible death. It says fire bombing aircraft... Use a siren to alert an imminent water drop. So if you hear this siren, then please move away immediately. If the pilot detects that you are within the drop zone, the aircraft may abort the drop. And remember, this could mean the difference in saving life and property. So, and this is Bushfires NT talking here. It says, as tempting as it may be to get that one in a million photo or video, you should never stand in the path of a water bombing aircraft. Your safety is paramount. If you hear the siren, move away immediately. So that's some advice that's been posted by Bushfires NT, which unfortunately has been busy again this week in Central Australia and sounds like a few people just might be doing the wrong thing when it comes to those water-bombing aircrafts. Let's go to the Weather Bureau now. Sally Cutter is there today. How are you, Sally?
4: Not too bad, thanks.
1: Last country hour of the year. We're heading towards a weekend. We're heading towards New Year's Eve. What's the weather set to be like?
4: Oh, uh, in the north, more of the same. Unfortunately, we can't. There's not that much precipitation around. Uh, if we're looking at to what has happened over the last 24 hours, we've had 14 mils, 14 and a half at East Baines River, 14 at Jabiru. Alice got 7.4, Cattle Creek 7.6, and Old Delamere nine. So there isn't that much around. So there's it's not really going to so not going to see much improvement until we get into next, well, into next year. In fact, the, we could see a few showers and storms around, but the top end and sending down into, there's got a few down in the Lassiter district now. So the western parts of the territory, but unfortunately, it's going to continue very hot. So it, a little bit of respite down south tomorrow as that change comes through, but it's only a, basically a, a day or two, and then everything warms up again.
1: Um, I was just mentioning that advice from Bushfires NT when it comes to the firefighting aerial bombers, and, yeah, there is a there is a little bit of fire in the environment, sort of... Oh, I'm just looking at the NAFI website now. There's fire to the you know, well south of Ali Karung and... Few fires out in the Barclay region. So, for those who are out in those areas trying to put these fires out, what are conditions like?
4: Well, we, we've seen some of those very hot conditions. So, if, if they're out in the sun, it's going to be sort of very, very hot because the don't forget the temperatures we report are the ones that are measured in the shade. So, it's even hotter out there. We do have heat wave conditions, only generally low intensity, but a little bit areas of. Sort of Severe heat waves through the Barclays, so that's probably particularly in the next couple of days, but that's probably something they need to be aware of if you are out there. The fire dangers through there in the Barclay north is high up at forty one today, so we're going to so the, the conditions aren't great we've got those so north westerlies or north easterlies sort coming into a trough we've got through the area, and depending on exactly where that trough is and how it moves that that will cause a little bit of issue as well for the firefighters.
1: Okay, and I see an extreme heatwave warning in place for the Daly District, and severe heatwave warning for Tiwi, Arnhem, Carpenteria, Gregory, Lee, Lasseter, Tanami. It's just really hot out there. Oh, got a question here, and <laughs> well, I think it's um, I think it's probably on everyone's mind. It's uh, where is the monsoon, Sally Cutter? Uh,
4: we've sent out a search party for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, the, the best chance is <laughs> mid-January. The, that's when the MJO comes around. There's hints in some of our models that the structure of the trough out in the Indian Ocean might be getting close to later next week, so mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see that see it turn up to that mid-January, which is what we were sort of expecting with the combination of the of Indian Ocean Dipole and the El Niño as well. So it's, it's not unexpected for it to be this late, but it would just be nice if we got a bit more rain.
1: Okay, so sorry, when could it be? When could it be that the monsoon arrives?
4: Mid-January. Mid-January. Yeah, mid-January.
1: Well, I guess your colleagues were, were predicting a, a a later arrival and that seems to be playing out. We had a moment there with uh, Jasper, but it's gone very dry. I'm just looking at the radars this afternoon, Sally. can't believe how quiet it is for this time of the year.
4: Yeah, and, and even if you look looking at the satellite pictures, there's not much around. You've got a little bit of... Sort of little little clouds around the northern parts, the top end, a weak band through Simpson Master, and, and that's on on that trough, associated with that trough, and there's some storms on there this morning. But right across the territory it's particularly if you the Barclay or Tanami, to so even the Northern Simpson Carpentaria, you are almost saying spot the cloud. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um New Year's Eve. I'm sure that the territory will find a way to let off a firecracker somewhere. So what's the advice? What's the weather set to be on New Year's Eve?
4: Oh, top end, it's probably going to be pleasant to be out and about because it's not going to be too cold. The, so we're looking at minimums for New Year's Eve morning for for Darwin, twenty seven if you're Catherine Way more the which which Monday's news, twenty seven as well for Catherine. If you're down central Australia way, you're certainly going to see bit cooler temperatures. So if you're seeing in dawn in Alice Springs, it's going to be about 17 degrees. So it's going to be a bit cooler, but it's probably going to be quite pleasant relief after those really hot so 40 or or 38 day, top to 38 on New Year's Eve. So it's it's going to be hot out there, but we are going to get a little bit of relief through central parts, or more relief through central parts, and the north is just going to be sort of Warm still overnight, so it's. That's probably the thing to remember. The heat wave is probably going to continue for a while, and just to to be aware that the, it is hot out there. But the to, to, we're still not expecting to any. There's a risk of showers and storms, but just not. There's no guarantee of you, you will get one.
1: Yeah. All right then, Sally. Last time for 2023. Thanks so much for your time on the Country Hour. That's okay. We'll see you in the new year. <laughs> yeah. That is uh, Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau, and that does wrap up our last Country Hour for 2023. I'll be back on your radio next Tuesday on the 2nd of January. I was just looking at the benchmark cattle indicator for this nation about how it ended the year. So I'm talking here about the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator. It started 2023 at 850 cents a kilo carcass weight. It has ended the year at 456 cents. So that is a drop across the year of 46%. It was a year dominated by headlines about sliding livestock prices. And yes, the Eki dropped 46% in the year. It got as low as 349 there at one stage. Uh, That's it for the Country Hour. Make sure you keep it rural. It's time now to head back to the MCG and ABC Sports coverage of that second test.